Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Ashley. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's been a hot minute, I feel like. I've been I missing know. talking to you. I know. It's been a while. We sort of took an unintentional break for a few weeks, but I'm glad we're back. Me too. I've been traveling. What about you? I have been traveling, uh, visiting some churches, doing some preaching, had some meetings. So yeah, it's been, it's been a busy time. Yeah, I went to Romania, saw Stefania and Dragos, who you know well now, uh, and had a really nice time with them. And then went to Turkey and got to see our favorite Russians uh, for a few days. And it had been since February of 2020 since I had last seen Olga and Igor. And it was even July of 2019 since I've seen Alec and Nadia. So um, it was really, really nice to be in their presence and to just put my arms around them uh, with everything going on in the world. It was good to be reminded that we are people and we love each other and we are united by this body of Christ. Amen. Um, well, so speaking of being reminded of things, do you want to remind our listeners of why you know these people? Oh, sure. Well, uh if you remember, I am the global missions pastor at First United Methodist Church in Shreveport, Louisiana, and uh, we have this mission program, uh, missions ministry, this family ministry that expands the entire globe. Um, and one of our first uh, outreaches and mission was to First United Methodist Church of Yekaterinburg, Russia say that five times fast, Yekaterinburg. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the fourth largest city in Russia. Um, I made my first visit over there and we'll talk to, when we actually talk to Olga and Igor, I'll get more into the story, but I made my first visit to Russia in February of 20, uh, 2014, I believe. It was negative 30 degrees the entire time was I was there. When you walk outside, my nose hairs would freeze <laughs> and there was a crackle in my lung. You could throw hot water in the air and it would evaporate. But nonetheless, that was the first time I had met them. And it was like meeting family that I had never met before. We hit it off immediately. So I was so thankful to be reunited with Olga Eager and their two children. There's two of them now. Hmm. Um, two children, Vanya and Eva. Ava, Yeva, um, and uh, and then Alec and Nadia, who's the pastor, and his wife. So, and Stefania and Dragos. Stefania are... and Dragos. Well, yeah, Stefania is my best friend in the whole wide world. Um, we got our doctorates together with another person that we're going to be talking to on this podcast in just a few minutes. But she and I graduated from George Fox Seminary in Portland, Oregon. She's originally from Romania. And then she moved to the U.S. and now she's back in Romania. I can't wait for her to be on the podcast to tell her story of how she ended up back in Romania. So yeah. she and her husband, Dragos, are serving there in Bucharest, Romania. Very good. It well, was a really good trip. 
that's definitely more extensive traveling than I did. Um, <laughs> I went to California for a weekend and then not just a weekend, uh, but like for 24 hours, right? <laughs> yes. I got there on Saturday afternoon and left on Sunday night. Um, oh. and then I went to Virginia and preached at one of our partner churches. And then I was in Colorado for a couple of days, uh, for some meetings and, um, back in Costa Rica for four days and then getting ready to leave again to go preach at a church in North Carolina and, and maybe even see my family briefly before I head back to Costa Rica again. So it's a busy season. This time of year, we don't have volunteers that are here working. So it's a good time for me to get back to the States and kind of touch base with some of the churches that are a part of our, our family here and, and help us keep the wheels turning and just to let them know how grateful we are for for their commitment to us and to this work. And so, yeah, there's a lot going on. Let me say one thing though, but that church you visited in Virginia is the whole reason that you and I know each other. Um, And so I, I was loving every second of you having lunch with Jay and being in the car with Carrie and her, her daughter and um, being at Sally and Harry's house. And, Oh, I just love that. We love the same people. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was a good visit, and and yeah, those connections are are wonderful, and uh, yeah, it speaks to how how long that particular church has been committed to to us and to our family and to our work here, because um, it's been a while since we met. So, yeah, good stuff. Well, speaking of connectors, the man that I refer to as the connector of all connectors, his name is Dr. John Woodward. And Dr. John Woodward is the executive director of South Pacific Christian Fellowship. And we had the pleasure of talking to him. It was just such a natural flow of conversation because we love him so much. We know him so well. And he's one of the easiest persons to talk to in the world. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Um, Even though I've spent some time with John, I still learned some things that I didn't know. And uh, I think people are going to enjoy hearing from him. Well, he is the most interesting man in the world. So all you, have, you, you have a lot of nicknames for John, by the way. <laughs> well, ever since that wonderful day in London, England. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that in the interview. They're going to hear all about it. <laughs> well, listeners, we cannot wait to introduce to you Dr. John Woodward. He currently resides in Omaha, Nebraska with his wonderful, absolutely amazing wife, Gwen. And we cannot wait to introduce, introduce him to you now. Hey, Will. Hey, Ashley. Hey, John. Hello. How are you today? Doing quite well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm great. Welcome to the Broken Banquet Podcast. This is a long time coming. We are so excited you're here. Well, thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to this. Will, I don't know if I've ever told you how I met John Woodward, but John and I met. I'm just going to tell you, you don't, you don't get a chance to... <laughs> I wasn't going to stop you, Ashley. I would love to hear how you and John Woodward met. 
It was a beautiful day in London, England, and I had just arrived, stepped off of a plane, waiting to take a nap and, and just decompress for that long flight. When all of a sudden I walked into an elevator and John Woodward was there and he said, you want to go for a walk? And I said, I would love to go for a walk. And so John and I, what, what happened? No, I was just can we can we just stop the story there for just a second? So you you fly to Europe and get in an elevator and some random guy gets in the elevator with you and says, Hey young lady, would you like to go for a walk? Okay. And your immediate response is, uh yeah. There is a little more to this story, Will. I, I was hoping that there was. <laughs> so as it turns out, John and I were both in the same cohort for our doctor of ministry. And we did that doctor of ministry with George Fox University from Portland, Oregon. And our cohort was in this leadership and global perspectives class. And so we had seen each other over a Zoom type call and, and had actually, I don't even think that no, because we were just recording. typing. That's right. So we never actually seen each other in person. So as we arrived at the hotel where we were all, our whole class and the classes before us were all staying, we both got into the elevator and I said, hey, are you in my class? And he said, hey, are you in my class? And we went on a walk through Kensington Gardens. And I tell you what, Will, John and I became fast friends that day. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, that is a much less alarming story than how it started. Yeah, so it's been a lot of fun because we were the first two people to meet each other in our cohort. And so it was delightful to look back all these years and realize, you know, this is the beginning of our, our relationship and you know, our whole experience with our doctoral program, which was fabulous. How long ago was that? 2013. Wow. It was September of 2013. And we solidified that walk with a good, good frosty glass of ale at the local pub. So true. So that's how John and I met. And over the next three years, we spent time together in London and then in Cape Town, South Africa, where I met his wife, Gwen, for the first time. And then we also had a wonderful story that hopefully will come out during this of when we went to Thailand together. And then uh, we went to Hong Kong. So we have traveled around the world. And then after, after the time that we had during our cohort program, uh, John took on a new position. He was uh, doing campus ministry and a few other things. And he took on a new position after we graduated with our doctorates. And now he's the executive director of South Pacific Christian Fellowship. And he'll tell you all about that. And so since then, we have been to New Zealand and Australia together. And we have also been to Costa Rica together. And Israel and Italy and Israel and Italy. Yes, and and I was uh, privileged to become a part of that club as well uh, on the Israel trip, Holy Land trip, and also my family was a part of the, the Italy trip. So it was great after hearing so much about John from Ashley to, to get to meet you, John. And I'm so excited that you're on the program with us and that uh, everybody else is gonna get to meet you as well and, and hear, hear more about the work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate the invite and I uh, highlight for me this year so far has been coming down to Costa Rica and visiting you and your family and seeing the ministry you're doing there as well. Uh, so really appreciated the time I got to spend with you. Thank you. And considering that that happened during a year that you also got to go on a two week 
long retreat to Tuscany. Uh, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that you enjoyed your time with us. You know, I think my one of my favorite things too is Will that John met Yolanda in person before he met you in person. And one of my favorite relationships that I've seen through the years of our global missions ministry is how much your wife, Yolanda, adores John. Mm -hmm. And I I love the relationship that they've developed. And I was so thankful that Yolanda and Gwen were both able to be together in Italy so that you all could share a car together for the week and uh, solidify that family bond that y'all now have. Yeah, and and really, you know, John, you and Gwen kind of became Isabella's surrogate grandparents for that that retreat as well, which was yes. just so much fun to see her get attached to you guys. And yeah, so we yeah we we love that relationship as well. Yeah, as grandparents, it was very natural for us to go towards Isabella and want to be involved with her. So she, we just love her. She's so delightful. John, do you want to start off by just giving a you have one of the most interesting stories that I've ever heard. So do you want to just give a five minute or less overview of who is John Woodward? Oh my goodness. Uh, I'll try. So I'm originally from Michigan um, and I went to Western Michigan University, go Broncos, uh, and studying uh, English literature. Um, I've always been a reader, uh, love books. And so I uh, decided to get an English degree so I could read uh, more and uh, ended up being an English teacher. And that's where I met my future wife, Gwen. Uh, We were involved in campus ministry there at the university. And while at the university, I had a campus minister tell me at one point, he said, John, someday you're going to do campus ministry. And I went, no way. (laughs) ministry. No, I'm just not interested. Don't want to be a minister. You know, I've got my life all pretty well worked out. And so I kind of ran away uh, from any idea like that. And so in our senior year of college, Gwen and I went to uh, Urbana 79, which tells you how old I am. Uh, We were seniors in college. And so um, we went to this uh, mission conference and I I don't think I knew anything about missions, didn't care a whole lot about missions. This was totally new to me, uh, but we were with several thousand students and we got to hear John Stott. We got to hear uh, Billy Graham and uh, Elizabeth Elliot. I mean, it was just fabulous. But one of the speakers challenged us as college students to tithe our lives, which is a great concept. And it was, the idea was this, uh, you're 20 years old, 21 years old. Uh, why not get back to God two years of your life to service? You may not be called into full-time uh, ministry, full-time missions, but before you buy a house, buy a car, buy lots of furniture, have children, get married, go off and serve while you're free to do that, and then get on with your life. And Gwen and I really liked that idea. We thought that would be a neat thing to do. So we made a commitment to God to do that. And so for the next three years, we knew we were going to do this, but we got teaching jobs and we rented houses thinking we're going to do something, but we did not know what. And it was very easy for us to just go, okay, let's just settle down. Let's just get on with life. Let's not do this. But one evening we went to church and there was a presentation about 
a ministry that was uh, working over in Austria that was supporting the churches behind the Iron Curtain. And as the presentation was going on, Gwen and I looked at each other and went, that's where we're supposed to be. And sure enough, a year and a half later, we were over in Austria. And for the next two years, we were involved in basically traveling in and out of communist countries, taking Bibles, materials, um, books, medicine, clothing, whatever the needs of the churches were at the time. And great experience, uh, just wonderful, wonderful experience for um, uh, those two years. But the most interesting part of it for me was uh, it was also frustrating because every trip we took, we'd go to visit a different church, a different pastor, spend a few days with them, fall in love with them. And these, I mean, these were some of the most impressive Christians you'd ever meet because they were being persecuted. Their lives were so hard and so difficult. And then we'd come out of the country, and then we didn't know if we'd ever get a chance to go back to see them again. And after just spending, you know, a few days with so many different people and falling in love with them, and then not being able to spend more time with them, just really wore on me. Because I remembered back when I was involved in campus ministry, it was all about spending long, quality, involved time with people. And I think God used that experience to wear me down to the point where it's like, I need to be involved in a ministry where I can be involved with people long term. And at that point, it was like, I'm ready. Campus ministry, let's go. <laughs> and so by the end of my time, I was ready to come back and um some crazy ministry in Iowa hired me to be their campus minister. And again, everything when you're young is short term. You know, so we we're going to be there for a few years. I thought maybe I'd go on and get a master's in English or history or something. Uh, we ended up staying for 23 years. And God just blessed the ministry in so many different ways. And it was really all about being involved with college students and seeing the college students go off and be good Christians, uh, parents and and family members uh, go off and do great things in business and others that went into the mission field. For me, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. But the favorite thing I got to do was go on a number of mission trips with the college students. And so we, I think, took 11 overseas mission trips in those 23 years to Europe, to Russia, to Venezuela. And then we probably about 20-some domestic mission trips. And for some reason, I just loved challenging young people to just learn about missions and to consider missions and, and to have a hands-on experience with missions. And so when I left campus ministry, for a few years, I worked with uh, For God's Children, which worked over in Romania, and also got involved with Lakota ministry up in South Dakota. And then um, God worked things out for me to uh, join South Pacific Christian Fellowship through a friend here, actually a, a missionary that had come back from New Zealand and ended up here in Omaha. And we became good friends. And at one point he just said, how would you like to be director of our ministry? And I was so ready uh, to move into that position. And then God blessed me with people like Ashley uh, and helped me to uh, move into that position and has helped me with that work ever since. So John, how do you how would you explain what South Pacific Christian Fellowship, which Fellowship. is much too long of a name for any ministry. So anyway, South Pacific is a 
uh, ministry that uh, primarily now uh, works on planting churches in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, that's been our focus uh, up to this time. The ministry started about 50 years ago when a pastor went over to uh, a conference in Australia and New Zealand and began to talk to the local pastors over there. And he discovered that the churches were closing all over. And he became very, very concerned. And so he came back to the States. And what they tried to do for about 20 years is to send pastors from the United States over to just encourage the churches and maybe help move them forward. But the problem is, is they would be successful and stay over for two or three years and then come home. And whatever issues were involved with the churches reasserted themselves and they went back to the problems they had before. And so after 20 years, they realized they really weren't having much effect. Maybe the idea was to plant new churches that did not have any of the DNA of these problem churches and that might be able to bring some new life and a different way of doing church that would be attractive to people in Australia and New Zealand that we could see revival then hopefully begin. John, one of the things I've always loved about you, first of all, I refer to you as the most interesting man in the world. I mean, there are not many people on earth that I have met who were Bible smugglers. I do picture you as Indiana Jones. Will Bailey has said this before, but... Sneaking across Checkpoint Charlie with Bibles in a satchel and... So the most interesting question they would ask at the border is, do you have guns, ammunition, or Bibles? (laughs) And I always love that because it's like, okay, yeah, all three of them are very dangerous, I guess, to the communists. If used correctly. If used correctly. So, and as Ashley said, you know, our first response was, yeah, yeah, we have a personal Bible, but we wouldn't tell them about the 200 Bibles in the trunk unless they ask. So we, we would never lie. We would just only tell them as little as possible. Uh, another thing, that as you kept telling your story about campus ministry and uh, the fact that you left Eastern communism and moved back over to work in, in campus ministry, you are one of the most relational persons I've ever met. You have the ability to connect with anyone. You genuinely care about people. And that comes through so much whenever I think of how you were meeting these pastors in Eastern Europe, how you connected with all of these kids, especially as they were on mission trips, um, and how you continue to do so through the mission field, through the Lakota Native Americans, through your time in Romania, and how you just connect all of the people that you are with. Talk about some of those you, I, you and I have always referred to ourselves as that is our spiritual gift. Yes. We are connectors. Amen. So talk about that for just a, just a few seconds. Well, and it's interesting because when you asked me to be on the podcast and, and with that idea in mind, I got thinking about the fact that, yeah, that's something both you and I really enjoy doing is just connecting with people and then maybe connecting people with other people. And I really never kind of thought it through is it's not like it's something that I set out to do and and so I had to think a little bit about okay what what is it that I really do it just it you know maybe because it's a spiritual gift it's something that we just naturally do and don't think about it and so the first thing I realized is that I really love to listen to people and hear people's stories 
And I think what I find so interesting is the fact that everyone has interesting stories to tell about themselves. And so whenever I meet a person, I want to know their story. I want to know stories about themselves. I want to know what they're interested in. Because when you do that, what you find is you find a lot of connections you have with those people. Uh, Somewhere they're going to say something that you can say, oh, yeah, I really like that or I've done that. And so I just dig in and, and want to know as much as possible. And I think what happens is when you do that, you then hear about their interests and their desires in life and where they want to go. And as they're telling me those things, I then can begin to think about, well, if you're really interested in doing acts, I know someone over here who might be able to help you. Or um, if you're interested in doing why, why not look into this? Because this will help you get to where you want to go. And so there's ways you can begin to invest in them and encourage them and kind of direct them and help them, you know, in a lot of different directions. For me, it's just taking time, listen and find out what they're really all about. And I think you can connect with pretty much anybody. Um, I mean, there's been very few people in my life that I can say that I ask questions of that have not had some kind of interesting story along the way. I'm so glad that you brought this up. We talked not long ago with a, a friend of mine who is a missionary in El Salvador. And Ashley asked him at some point during our conversation what the sort of ideal partnership would look like for him between uh, his organization and churches in the U.S. that might be supporting that work. And his answer was, any church that will ask questions and listen to the answers. (laughs) And And when you think about just how fundamental that is on a personal level, and like you say, being able to actually connect with other human beings, that's just important regardless. Mm -hmm. But then to be able to have that become a key part of your missional relationships and, and building relationships in communities around the world where cultures are different and people are different and context is different. And taking the time to ask questions, but also to listen to the answers and and the humility that that takes. And then all of the things that that helps us avoid, right? Because if if we're trying to do all of this stuff, but in the absence of conversations and in the absence of relationships, then obviously things are going to go off the rails. And also, when we're talking in this context of a broken banquet, I do believe that listening is one of those key pieces that brings us together as people and as human beings to to connect us, to help us to know one another. And it helps us to be present with one another. Because when we're being present, that's when we learn about each other. That's when we grow together. That's when that idea of mutual relationship, mutual partnership comes. And I think that listening really is one of the key factors to making the broken banquet table whole again. That's one of the things I loved about our trip to Italy as we were sitting around the table. There was so much of that storytelling, uh, people asking questions, being genuinely interested in the other person that was sitting across from them, not just asking questions for information, but because they genuinely cared. 
And I do think that that's part of making our banquet table whole. Yeah, that, it, and it's, it amazes me because I think I think there's a lot of people out there who really have not learned the art of listening. And I've been amazed at some of the conversations I've had where I realized that I've asked all the questions and the other person has not shown any interest or asked me anything. And I kind of walk away going, huh, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. You know, that, and, and I, it's sad because then I don't think there's anything that they're connecting with me on because they have never, you know, kind of taken the, the interest to, uh, to dig in there. But this whole idea of listening, and, I, and I'm glad you bring it up, Will, with, uh, you know, churches, especially supporting churches that are involved in doing missions, because I think that's one of the hardest parts for missionaries, the ones that I talk with that come home after years of doing work on the field and they go into their churches and nobody asks them anything about what they have been doing, why they do it, what God's doing, nothing. And for them, it's just so hard because they have stories they want to tell. They, they have seen God do great things. They would love to share that with their church, but people really don't seem to be all that interested. And so, so for me, the thing I always wonder about is how, how can we get churches to understand that they need to be interested, that they need to ask questions, that they need to um, provide, I think, for missionaries the, the platform, the opportunity to be able to share what's going on because for them, you know, if they're supporting these missionaries, these missionaries want to share what's on their hearts and to share how God has used them to bless the work that they've been doing. And so if they're not willing to listen, you know, they have no opportunity to really share and, and bless the churches that way. The fact that that even exists, that, that like, there are churches who... <laughs> who treat or just respond to missionaries that way makes me so happy that we're doing this podcast <laughs> mm -hmm. because what the heck, How, what do you even do? Like, what do you, what are you doing? Right. What do you think supporting missions and missionaries means then? Like what's, what are you doing? How can you be that not interested? I mean, can you imagine having like a huge children's ministry and a you know a preschool program and all of that kind of stuff going on at your church but being completely uninterested in children like that makes no sense whatsoever so how can you be a church that is supporting missions and mission work but you'd be completely uninterested in what that means and the fruits of that i just don't i don't get that at all Right. So, um, God, whoever those churches are, man, I hope they find this podcast. <laughs> well, and I would say, too, it might manifest itself in a, in a slightly different way of when Andrew Lee, who is serving in Cambodia, when he was at my house for the very first time in Shreveport, we were talking and I was talking to him and asking questions and, and doing these the, the types of things that we're talking about here. And he said... I wish that all of our partner churches were like this, that we could come in and have great conversations. But more often, it's that we have to go in and report what we're doing and give the statistics of what we're doing. 
Same thing with the first time that Tamara and Jeremy Boone from Uganda came to visit our church. And I had the whole missions committee over at my house. They were nervous all day. And I finally asked them, guys, what's going on? And they said, well, you know, we're just used to all of the church mission committees we meet with and having to report and answer their questions. And I said, no, no, this is a time for you all to brag on what you're doing. Tell us the stories of your community, what gives you joy in life, and for us just to have fun together. Even just the practical ways that those conversations happen matters. Because when I was thinking about this the other day, I just flew to California for like 24 hours, preached at a church, flew back to Costa Rica. And during that traveling, thinking about how many trips like that I've made over the last 20 years. And, and how different a lot of those visits look from one another. And I love going back and, and preaching. I love having the opportunity to share with people about what we're doing. But my favorite visits are the ones where there will be a church gathering. But instead of Will just standing on a stage and talking about Costa Rica Mission Projects for whatever, you know, an hour, it's... It's like a question and just a conversation where someone like an Ashley or someone who has a relationship with us, we just you know sit on a couple of stools with a couple of microphones and we just talk about what we're doing. And, and I get asked questions and I get to answer those questions and people from the church get to ask me questions. And that is just so much better than an annual report from Will. And But if people aren't interested or don't understand how important it is, to ask those questions and listen to the answers, then it's just going to be a completely different animal. Yeah. And you would think in our modern day and age, because I mean, we used to use the excuse that, well, you know, Americans, they haven't been out that much and they don't know the bigger things <laughs> in the world. I don't think we can use that excuse anymore. I mean, you know, we, people are seeing things from all around the world nowadays. So you would think that they would at least have some, knowledge of the bigger world that they could at least ask some questions and just, you know, to, to say, well, what, what is church like where you're at? What do you do different in your mission field than we do here? You know, there's a hundred million questions you can ask uh, along the way that would be just so simple uh, to, to begin those conversations. And I think a big part of it, you keep using the phrase partner churches, and I think in the past we used the term supporting churches. And so I think in the past churches sent support. And that, that was fulfilling their you know, God-given responsibility. They were supporting the missionaries by sending money. And I love the fact that we're talking more about partnerships. Uh, the, the mission organization we work under, New International, they call it partnership development. They are not raising support. They are developing groups of people that are going to partner in their work. And so the whole idea is to invest in people that will invest in them and their ministry. And so it's going to be an ongoing relationship. And so if they're, the missionaries are investing in their quote unquote supporters or partners, then they need to be educating them and helping them understand what they're doing and also expressing what kind of needs you're going to have going along. So they can be active partners in what they do. So it's going to really be a balance of making sure the, the missionaries are doing their role and instructing and helping the partnering churches to do their role and working together on that. 
Well, speaking of New Mission System International, NMSI, that's another role that you have. Can you talk about what it is you do for New Mission System International and talk about the training program that they have for their future missionaries or their current missionaries? Okay. Um, And it used to be New Mission System International, and they moved it to New International because, again, New Mission System International is a much too long of a name and should not be the title of any ministry whatsoever. (laughs) All the ministries I've worked with. Um, So they changed the name about four or five years ago. And so I am a recruiter for New International uh, because of my uh, loving to be with people and in finding people who are interested in doing mission work and bringing them into the organization. They thought maybe I would do a good job of just being a general recruiter for them. And I was doing it anyways. Um, So when I went out and talked to people about South Pacific uh, Christian Fellowship, if they said, well, you know, I really would love to go to Africa. I'd love to go to Central America, you know, any other place in the world. I would go, great. I know an organization that you can work with. And so I would direct them to uh, their uh, programs. Probably the best thing that they do is they have an internship program. They put together six-week internships every summer. And uh, we have had probably about 14 or 16 interns over the last four or five years come and work in Australia and New Zealand. And out of those, we've had several new recruits that are now moving forward to work with us full time. But most of them are college students or shortly around graduating from college um, or in seminary. And they have an opportunity to go and work in a different part of the world. And what they do is they do a very intensive week-long boot camp before they go on the mission field. They have to read several books before they even get to boot camp. And then uh, while they're over in country, they are kept up with to see how they're doing. They have real good support all the way through. And then then when they come back, they have to spend a week back at the headquarters doing a debrief. So essentially, they get the whole mission experience in a compact six-week time period. I was involved with their debrief this past summer. And it was really interesting because what they really do with debrief is say, okay, this is not the end of your mission experience. This is the beginning. What we want you to be doing now and going forward is asking, what has God been telling you through this experience? You probably have not captured everything that God really wants you to learn. So keep praying, keep thinking, and keep working through this because God sent you on this journey for a purpose and you need to be finding out what that purpose is. And so they follow up and encourage them, you know, whatever area, wherever God's leading them, they want to encourage them to do that. Um, And so it's a great program. And through these internships, we have seen just a number of of young people that have gone in full-time mission work all over the world. My question was going to be, have you seen a difference because of this type of training versus in the past when you've worked with other missionaries? Have you seen a difference in either longevity or confidence or the way they build their partnerships? Have you have you seen a difference? Yeah, I, I really think so. I think what it does is it provides a, a better understanding and awareness of what 
being a missionary and being on the mission field looks like. I think in the past, the, the problem is, you know, a person says, I'm interested, maybe they've been on a week-long mission trip. They've come to Costa Rica for a few days and said, oh, I can do what Will does. And they want to come down and do full-time mission work for the rest of their lives. And I love it when that happens. I love it when someone's been around me for two days and decides <laughs> they can do what I do. Yeah. Exactly. That, that fills me with joy and gladness. <laughs> that happens a lot, I am sure. Because my life is just a perpetual mountaintop mission trip right. experience, just so everybody knows that. Full disclosure. Yeah. yeah. You're in paradise. I mean, what, who wouldn't want to be there? Right. How um, hard could it be? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so I think you know, young people, they, they get kind of this image of mission work and then they sign up and then they pop into the mission field and they have no clue of what life is like transitioning into a you know, new culture, um, of having to deal with culture shock, with having to, for a lot of people, learn another language, uh, and then figuring out how even just to do ministry in this new and different place because it's never like ministry that you did beforehand. And for some people, that just is so overwhelming. It just blows them away. And so over the years, I've seen a lot of people go for a year and come back because they just can't handle it. And so going through a longer term and real serious training and having people walk you through and really process what you've done really provides an opportunity, I think, to understand what long-term uh, mission work is all about. And I think it's easier for those people to adjust than uh, on the mission field later on. Can, John, can you explain a little bit what is the relationship between the communities where churches are being planted and where interns are going and, and serving and doing this training and your organization? Like, do people reach out to you and say, we we need a church and we're not sure how to do that. Can you guide us through that? Or or are you all as an organization identifying places where it seems like there's you know maybe a little bit of a desert and there, there aren't any faith communities? How does that part take shape? That's a very good question. Uh, it, it's very fluid, I think is the best way of putting it. Because like right now over in Australia, we're working with uh, Rob Branham, who you know very well. And, uh, and we'll be talking to in a future episode. Excellent. And uh, so we're sending people over to him. He has planted a church there in Australia. And so we're using him kind of as a springboard for workers. And so we're sending workers over to work with him to get acclimated. And our, our goal is then to then send people out to different places where either churches are in need or we want to plant churches. Um, and the same is true over in uh, New Zealand, we planted several churches, and we have places now where we can send interns to work with those younger churches to get kind of acclimated, figure out what church planting looks like in this part of the world. And then if they come back long term, the best way of explaining our process is to share with you about uh, the last church that we were involved in planting. And that was through Jeff and Indra, uh, who went over there a few years ago. And most of our church planters, what we ask them to do is to intern at a established church. So that way they have a community of people that will fall in love with them, take care of them, and help them through those initial, you know, landing in the country and getting acclimated. 
Uh, so Jeff and Andrea landed in uh, Shore Community Church, and it was a beautiful church because they really needed help. Their youngest son, uh, Ashton, uh, who's only a couple years old at the time, had this horrible rash that he got that they could not figure out what it was. And so as they're adjusting to a new culture, new life, their child was really, really sick. And the church really surrounded them and supported them and encouraged them. And so that's what we like to have is, you know, a church there to support our missionaries, not just to be out there on their own and hope they survive. And then what we have them do during those uh, six, eight months, year internship, in a sense, is to just go to different places and pray. And so we really don't have communities or places where we want to establish churches. We want our workers to go and just pray and seek God's guidance where he would have a church planted, simply because every missionary, every family that we send over is going to be different. We might send a team. Different communities might fit better. But we really want God to guide them to that place. And Jeff and Andrew's story, I think, is fabulous because they they went to one place and they were invited by a church and encouraged to plant a church in one location. And after a while, they just was like, no, I don't think this is it. And then they ended up going and praying in a new community called Gulf Harbor. And when they went into Gulf Harbor, I mean, it was a new community where they had a town center and just new houses probably no more than 10, 15 years old, just growing all around this area north of Auckland. And as they wandered around this new community, there was not one single church in that new community. I mean, in the town center, nothing nothing to do with church or anything. And so they walked around for a while and prayed, and they really got a sense that this is where they're supposed to plant a church. And what a great place to plant a church where there is no churches. And so then the second step they took, and I thought this is brilliant, they went to churches uh, on the edge of this new community and talked to several, I think most of the churches in that area, and said, we would like to plant a church in the middle of Gulf Harbor, but we want to have your blessing. Every single church they went to said, oh, yeah, go. We need a church there. And they got the blessing of all the churches, and several of those churches offered to support their work. And and so they basically opened up an office there in town. And the way we encourage our missionaries to do church planting is basically connecting with the community. Um, And so for the first year or two, there was no planting a church. There was no talk of church what they were simply going to do was find ways to connect with people in the community. So Endra uh, started meeting uh, mothers because she'd go to the playground and with her kids and started talking with the mothers and found out that there was nothing in that community for young mothers, especially young mothers to find help, encouragement, uh, deal with whatever issues they were having. And so she thought, well, let's start a mother's group. And so she started having uh, a couple times a week gatherings of mothers just to get together and talk about mother issues. And then at the end of those gatherings, she'd have a short little devotion, and that was about it. And through those relationships, a number of people came to Christ and started attending a Bible study, and then their family started getting involved. And after about a year, 
they had probably about 30 people involved in two different small Bible studies. And one of the neat things was Jeff had gone into the local school and volunteered to just help out. And so he was kind of like a, a counselor helping troubled kids whenever he could. And so when they were ready to plan a church, he went to the local school and said, um, can we use one of your rooms to hold a church service on Sunday morning? And the principal said, no, you can't rent a room, uh, but we would love to let you use any room in the school free of charge. And so they had a core, uh, they planted a church, and today uh, I think they're running like 50 or 60 people. Um, they have someone there preaching regularly. Uh, one of our workers goes in and preaches every now and then and is continuing to mentor some of the church leaders. Um, but it was basically following God's lead, looking for open doors, and getting involved in the community that a church was planted. So there's there's so much that I love about all of that. First of all, whoever it was that made the decision to give this family time, good for them. Because we've talked about this already, that, that a lot of times there's an expectation that on day one, you know, you start with a revival and <laughs> baptize a bunch of people. And day two, you have a church. Right. And, the, and a lot of times that doesn't end well. But they they were given time to just be a part of the community. Amen. And, and, and let the community communicate to them what the needs were. And then to start and envision what a faith community would look like based on that is so they is listen. Super. Yeah. They listen yeah. to the community. Yeah. And then... You know, I'm always sort of when we hear these stories, I'm always waiting to hear where was the invitation from the community. And and to me, to have a school principal say, no, you can't rent space from us, but you can use any space you need. Like, there it is. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. John, if there was if there was one question that when you're you know, speaking to groups or when you're reaching out to young people or whatever, if there was one question that you wish people would ask you, but don't, or if there's just one thing you wish they knew that you think they don't, what, what would that be? I think that the question I would like to be asked sometime would be, and I think this is where Ashley, I think you do a great job of it, of, of asking, how are you doing? Because I think what we miss out on so much is we're always asking, if we're asking questions, it's about the work, it's about the ministry, it's about numbers, it's finances, it's all these things. But this is where I think we miss the real point is that people doing this kind of work, they need loving support. And they... I think there's a sense that we feel like we have to present ourselves as um, superhuman and to, you know, we can do all these things and frankly, we're just fine. We, we can handle it. We don't, you know, thanks for your support and your, your prayers is all, we've got it covered. Um, but to have people really say, you know, how are you doing? You know, what, where are you struggling yeah, really, how are you doing, I think would be something that I would love to hear being 
myself being asked, but I always try to remember to ask that of you know, the people I work with um, and the people who are doing the work because yeah, it's great hearing their stories, but you know if you're if you're doing God's work, you're probably going through some discomfort, some difficulties, some challenges, and sometimes you just need to vet that and to know and give given space where it's okay to vet those kind of things. So I think that would probably be the question I would like to be asked more. Do you think that churches that, that understand the difference in being a partner rather than a supporter would be more likely to be the ones who are going to ask those questions? Oh, absolutely. I think supporting churches would like to know, give us the numbers. You know, show us that you've accomplished something. I think partner churches are more interested in how are you doing and what are you doing? And we, we really want more background into, you know, what's going on. Um, but I think they would be more likely to then venture down that road of, yeah, how are you doing? So, John, how is it with your soul? Uh, it has been a tiring season, to be honest. And, and the reason I say that is because I think coming out of COVID season, uh, I have lost a lot of muscle in what I normally do. And not only physically, but you know, spiritually and uh, organizationally, all those things. Um, so many of the things I, I have, was able to do with my eyes closed and could do keep a hundred balls up in the air. It's not so easy anymore. And I, so I think I'm having to relearn and retrain and gain that strength back again. And it's been a slow, challenging process, to be honest. I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I think makes it really difficult is it's not, that's not just an individual thing. It's I think collectively, Amen. So where it used to be, you know, if one player on the team is a couple of seconds slower, you got a bunch of other people to sort of pick up the slack. And right now, like everybody is just not at the top of their game yet. Right. And so it's just it's just a slog sometimes. So then we need to be a little more graceful to one another as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, John, it's been a joy talking to you this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and for sharing your story with us and with our listeners. John, any day with you is better than a day without you. So I love you. I love you too, Ashley. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me share. And I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. So I think it's so important um, what you're you're focusing on, I think the church really does need to, to hear and learn uh, the things you're going to be uh, sharing with them about. So thank you for doing that. Thanks, John. Bye, Bye John. Bye, Will. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.